The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Hello, and welcome to Lucas Lectures, hosted by the big fish himself, veteran Lucas. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's topic. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Lucas Lectures. This is me, Veteran Lucas. Hope you guys are having a wonderful day so far. A quick update on everything here in Japan. Uh, Tokyo had an increase of about 200 to 600 some odd cases of COVID-19. So my summer plans are still just hanging around this town. Again, if you've never heard of Hamamatsu, Japan, it's got parks, it's got beaches, it's got some surprisingly good Texas barbecue. Don't ask. It's a really cool city. I look forward to going through their natural parks, finding random animals, and talking to them. I mean, the people can't understand me anyway. The animals aren't much different. Uh, on a more Pokemon-related note, I was able to snag one of the Snom plushes before they went all out of stock here because Snom is a very popular frosty boy, and I can literally visualize Don foaming at the mouth to get his hand on that little guy. I, I love my little Snom plush. He just hangs out in my room. Nice little bugger. I love him to death. So, today's topic is going to be about Pokemon food. No, we're not eating them. We're not talking about eating them. If you want to know what Pokemon tastes like, uh, I Choose You is a podcast that's part of our network. I'll link them in the description below. Believe me, they are much better describing eating Pokemon than I am. We are talking about Pokemon diets. We are going to talk about uh, what Pokemon are eating, uh, some of the weirder diets you find in the Pokemon world, and seeing how those diets can be made not only in the Pokemon world, but in our world as well. So, how can you tell what a Pokemon is eating? Let's say you go into the woods and you catch a Pokemon you've never seen before, and after you battle it, you let it out, and it's clearly in need of a nap and a good meal. So, where do you start feeding it? Are you literally just going to open up your bag, pull out a bag of potato chips, and just say, here, consume, get strong, move on? No. Uh, for starters, you're probably going to want to look at its mouth. And that seems like a, well, duh, Lucas moment. What else are you going to do? But this is something people forget about animals, is when you're looking at an animal, you're trying to tell more about it. You can tell a lot just from its teeth and its jaws. So, the teeth can tell you not just whether if it eats meat or vegetation, but it can tell you what type of meat and what type of vegetation it eats. So let's look at two carnivores that live in the Pokemon world in the exact same environment. Sharpedo and Whalmer. So both of these are roughly the same size, but if you look at a Sharpedo's teeth, it is designed to rip and tear until it's done, Doom style. It is designed to go after large predators rip them to pieces, take chunks, and swim away. But Whalmer, he's a thick boy, but his teeth are made of baleen. His teeth are made of the same stuff as your hair, and they function very similar to a filter or a sieve. It filters a lot smaller bits of meat into the mouth, so it's probably going to be going after smaller pieces of food. So if you have this situation, you're not going to give your Sharpedo a bunch of tiny snacks. you got to give it one big slab of food. And the Whalmer, you're probably going to have to make sure you give smaller amounts, but in still large quantities. You can do the same with the bird Pokemon. A Pikapek and Pidgey are both starter birds you find, but 
what's important to realize is that Pidgey's beak is designed as um more of a multi-tool. It's designed to forage and go after almost anything, so you're not going to be too picky when you're getting its food. But Pikamek is designed for drilling into trees, so it's probably not going to want to go after any of the berries and stuff you pick. It's probably going to go after smaller insects or grubs. So looking where you cut it can also be a really good help. You can tell exactly what kind of food it's eating if you just look at where you caught it. If it's up in the trees, it's probably going to be feeding on berries. If it's down on the ground, it's probably going to be feeding on some kind of grain for the bird Pokemon. Now, in the real world, we tend to use this a lot in paleontology and even anthropology. When we want to know what an animal is eating or even what a human ate thousands of years ago, we look at their teeth. We look at their teeth and see exactly not only what they're eating, but their skull can tell us how big they were, what hunting method they use, and their diet. Uh, we've used anthropology to date back like dental hygiene. We are able to see what an animal is exactly putting in its mouth just by a look at its teeth, which again, seems really obvious, but it's something people take for granted. If you look at some people who are like, oh, I'm going to feed my cat spinach, like, one, they don't digest that. You can really tell that just by looking into it, like just a glance. But you can tell just from a glance that those teeth are designed for ripping into meat. So why are you giving them vegetables? Again, seems obvious, but for some reason it's not. Now, for your more conventional Pokemon, you're going to have to worry about that sort of thing. You're going to have to worry, okay, so it's a meat eater. Going to have to find meat or a meat substitute or, oh, it's eating vegetation. I should probably give it some kind of grass or hay or berries, depending on where it's from. But then you have the weird diets, the things that it talks about. So in, the weirder ones are usually the ghost types because they either feed on one of two food sources, emotions or souls. The emotions wouldn't be so bad. I mean, you get the little bugger to go scare folks at the local village. You keep moving from town to town. Problem solved. After he spooks some kids in every town, you just, you know, keep going and no one is any the wiser. If it's feeding on souls, that's a problem. I am not entitled. I am neither priest nor rabbi. So I cannot tell you the ethical quandaries of feeding the souls of living things to your pet. I can say that if you're going to do it, don't. That just seems pretty messed up. Just let it out at night. Don't ask any questions. And if it survives in the morning, I mean, it's already dead, technically, so it should be fine. Uh, speaking of ghost types, though, there is one that is functioning like a parasite, and that's Delmize. So Delmize is basically an evil piece of kelp that came to life, grabbed a, an anchor, and just started yeeting it at anything that comes near it. And what it feeds on is other plant life. So we have something like this in the real world. We have plants that will literally feed off the nutrients of other plants. Obviously, we have things like mushrooms that feed on decay, but there's plants that are causing vast amounts of damages to our world because they're not from there and they're very parasitic. Those of you in the south of the United States, you're going to probably be familiar with a plant called kutsu. For those of you, my friends who are near from Atlanta, you know that kutsu is a vine-like plant that covers the trees out there. Like, you, they use the trees almost like a vine would use, like, a garden wall to climb. They coat the entire tree like a blanket and suck away any nutrients that the plant would have gotten from the sun because now it's just capable of taking away any drop of sunlight this plant has. So kudzu is a real problem in our world. Now, there are, of course, other parasites that could cause problems. There's things like uh, joltic. 
one of the smallest Pokemon and one of the cutest, it feeds on static electricity. So if you have a Joltik and you want to allow it to feed, you're probably going to have to get something big and furry, and you're going to have to just plot your Joltik on it and hope that that Pokemon doesn't mind. Or you could just wait for Laundry Day and just throw him in afterwards and solve two problems, feeding that thing and getting rid of any static in the laundry. One or the other works for me. Now, of course, you are going to have uh, my favorite diet of any of the Pokemon. This one I love because you can make some serious money off this. A Garbodor and Muck get their fair share of hate because one, Muck's design is very simple, and so the Gen 1 haters go after it. And two, Garbodor is literal trash. He's literally trash. But that's not a bad thing. If you notice in the games, they talk about how they eat gunk. They eat pollution. So think about it from a business sense. You and your garbage Pokemon go town to town, destroying all the garbage, eating as much of it as they can, and then moving on, collecting some money from there. Believe it or not, we are getting closer to a future like that. In our world, uh, in Japan no less, uh, the Kyoto Institute of Technology discovered a specific strain of bacteria. Now, this bacteria was found on its own to have microevolved the ability to break down plastics. That is a huge step. We have always been under the belief that plastics are inedible to anything organic. We are not going to be able to consume it. But the bacteria found a way to break it down into digestible amounts. They're even able to break it down and give off a waste of CO2. Again, CO2 not exactly in low supply right now, but it's still really cool. This bacteria is called, and I'm going to butcher this name, so here we go, Ideonella. Okay, that's the last time I'm going to say it. So we actually have real-world organisms that are able to consume garbage. And if they're smart about it, they'll probably have people charge for it. If they're kind about it, they'll do it for free. So the last question I wanted to answer is how would you even go about feeding Pokemon? Like I said, you can't just go around collecting souls. You can't. You just can't. That's not, that's not cool. But how are you going to go about with your Delmize if it feeds off plant life? How are you going to be able to survive with a Sharpedo who literally grips and tears slabs of meat? That's how it hunts. You've seen that thing in the Armored Isle. It will attack anything that moves. Uh, we can look to one man in the Pokemon series who stops us from going down a very dark path. Um, Brock from Pokemon is honestly one of the best sources of, I have for discovering Pokemon diets. Because what he seems to do is that he has a diet for every Pokemon, Ash, Misty, and whomever come across. They are able to not only make diets for Pokemon, but apparently a lot of these diets seem to cross species. Because you'll see Pikachu and Totodile or whatever Pokemon's there eating very similar looking diets from the same bowl. And they're both pretty content with it and both still alive. In real life, zoos and aquariums have to feed every living thing in the building. Sometimes you even have to feed the food that will become food in the case of crickets and mealworms. And that sometimes means that you're going to have to have a diet that isn't exactly 100% authentic meat. You're not going to be feeding tigers authentic Indian deer every time you feed them. You have to find a substitute. In the case of tigers, they don't feed them the deer. They actually feed horse meat. Every tiger you've met in most zoos is fed horse meat that's shipped in from Canada. So they are able to supplement the diet by still giving them the nutrients they need. A lot of people ask, well, why don't they just feed beef? And that's because beef isn't as lean. When you're working on a diet, you can't just think, oh, meat, that's the best thing we can give them. 
No, you have to find the exact kind of meat that'll best supplement that diet. Uh, if we go back to things like um, whale sharks. So whale sharks are in zoos and aquariums, and one of the tough tasks they had was thinking, how are we going to feed this gargantuan fish? The Georgia Aquarium has a really cool method. They get a bunch of smaller fish that would provide similar diets to them that they would get from eating a lot of smaller things like krill, and they just have a little boat. And they take the boat to their giant aquarium, like 6.3 million gallon habitat, and they just trudge the boat along and have the fish drop behind it. The whale shark has been trained to know that, oh, the boat needs food, and it will slowly follow behind and gulp down all of this food. It's an amazing thing to watch. It's definitely on YouTube. Just check it out. So every single Pokemon would have to be treated that way. Every Pokemon, you would have to go and see, okay, it eats a diet of this berry, or it eats a diet of this kind of meat. How can we supplement that diet? Plenty of vegetarians and vegans will tell you that they can supplement the diets with things like soy and with other different stranger plants or combinations of chemicals. They can actually make fake meat. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for animals just yet, but I think it's really cool that we would actually be able to use science, like Brock clearly does, to make a diet that would be perfect for each individual organism. In fact, there's a company called Missouri that does this. At, now, it's Missouri, not Missouri. So it's not like the southern state. It's spelled M-A-Z-U-R-I. And they provide a lot of dry diets for animals. So one day we were working with alligators and um, we were feeding them pellets. So a lot of people are like, well, hold on. Why aren't you feeding them meat like rats and stuff or little fish? And we told them that the pellets have all the same nutritional requirements. Now, obviously, uh, gators cannot feed on pellet alone. So we use the pellet as the main diet and then supplement it with other things. You can do the same with Pokemon. You could have their diets change and vary every day, and you could make it fun. Uh, for Let's go back to Sharpedo. If you want to have fun with Sharpedo, you get one of those little RC boats and have the food dragged behind it. Let that sucker chase it. He's going to have the time of his life. One of the biggest challenges of working with exotic animals is finding ways to get them all the diets they need while giving them similar behaviors to their wild counterparts. And that's what's really fun about this whole talk to me, that for Pokemon, everyone's doing the exact same thing. We're all trying to find the best diet for them, the best way they can survive so they can fight at their best proficiency. As any weight trainer will tell you, your diet is what starts your weight loss and your weight gain. Uh, one last note. If, if Pokemon were real, their diet should not consist of the generational sweets and food. Poffins and macaroons and curry to your pets is a terrible idea on paper. I love the idea. Like we we have the curry making competitions for the podcast, and I love seeing it. Be like, oh yes, let's make this curry with all these different ingredients. Okay, and pick a random Pokemon to feed it to. Let's feed this piece of meat and this meat and sauce and thick soup to a victory bell. Let's feed it to some plant and see what happens to it. I would love to see someone doing the science of what curry does as a fertilizer. No, uh, one of the worst things that could happen is that you'd have a special reaction against it. That's why gentrified neighborhoods have special ice cream for dogs. That way they can eat that themselves. And some animals, like dogs and chocolate, they can't even handle it due to health issues. Uh, to a lesser extent, you can cause obesity and diabetes. One of the saddest things you'll see is that zoos that aren't poorly run will just feed animals whatever they can find, and that can lead to poor diets. In the case of fisheries, where the food that we eat, if they feed them a poor diet, 
they're going to have diseases that did come to us. Corn-fed beef has been shown to have a higher case of E. coli than grass-fed beef. So it's important to always know when you're feeding something, you always check its diet. You always check what it's going to eat. Uh, fighting types get a pass. If you have a team of fighting types, yo, sit down at the dinner table. They're human enough. I think you'll be fine. So my final takeaway from all of this is that if you do have a pet, like in your life, Checking what it eats before you even do anything is the first step to having it. And I love that people take such good care of their pets. You guys clearly all care about your animals. And I think the Pokemon world in reality would be the same. We'd all have these specialized diets. We'd all be lagging giant bags of food around with us. Is that as fun in the game? Not really. But hey, I'm just here to speculate and have a little fun doing it. Every animal is different. And it requires something different in its life to eat. The same has got to be true for the Pokemon world. All I'm saying is keep your Delmize away from my roses. I swear to Arceus, I will end you if that thing starts sucking the nutrients out of my plants. On that note, I do want to thank you guys all for listening. Again, please keep uh, listening to I Choose You podcast. They're the ones who actually talk about eating Pokemon. So if you're that kind of degenerate, you can go ahead and listen to them. They're a really fun group of guys. They're a part of the Pokecasters network. Shout out to all our patrons who keep us going and keep me, uh, just keep me entertained with you guys actually giving us all this to let us teach you guys about the natural world with Pokemon. That's something I've always wanted, especially while I'm out here in Japan. Being connected to you guys like this means the world to me. So again, thank you guys so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'll see you guys in the next lecture. Peace!